Hey guys, welcome to Thrive, the podcast from the John Good Group. Uh, here we are today with Chris Black from Sound Leisure, and we are looking at the good and the bad and the ugly of family businesses. We have an amazing story today, uh, full of challenge and solutions. There's two big themes that run through this, so have a listen, tune in, see if you can spot them, and I'll speak to you again at the end. Chris, um, thank you for having us here at Sound Leisure. Do you want to just give us a little bit of background about the business? Right, yes. Well, we're a family business based in Leeds. Uh, we employ 70 people. We are mainly known for manufacturing classic jukeboxes. So we manufacture CD, vinyl, 45 vinyl LP, mm-hmm. digital machines. Uh, we export them worldwide. So that's what most people know us for. We also have an operating division that deals with hospitality throughout the UK, so they're operating jukeboxes, background music systems, doing installations for around 1,300 sites around the UK. And we also have a children's play division as well, so we're not talking big play bands and things like that, more distraction areas, so you'll find our equipment in hospital waiting rooms, once again in hospitality, mm-hmm. anywhere where toddlers really will frequent and they'll need to either keep them distracted um, to stop them annoying other people (laughs) uh, or in places like the NHS in the waiting rooms to calm them down because if the kids are calm because they're going for a procedure or the carers are, uh, it just makes everybody's life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So you'll see our products are the products we distribute all over the world in locations from sort of like the most exclusive places that you can imagine through to a doctor's surgery 10 minutes down the road from Crossgates. Give us some examples of the exclusive places that uh, you can tell us. <laughs> yes. We, oh wow, I mean, I were on a cruise last week and we had one in on the cruise line there. I had my picture oh, taken really? next to it. Uh, yeah, we're in some really amazing buildings. We deal with some amazing stars around the world. I can't really mention any of the celebrities that we deal with but we do a lot of sports personalities and tv and film Uh personalities and the machines appear on we've we've had one of the rockets on jurassic park we've just been filming again with another company this week there's some on tar out in america at the minute with some quite famous country singers going in the vip suites that we've um created bespoke custom machines for Uh so they're they're in vegas They're, they're all over the place yeah wow so when you bump into one of your machines when you're on holiday or whatever, talk to me about that, how you feel when you spot it. Yeah, well, I mean, last week, we, we me and my wife, Katha, works within the business as well. We, we were on a cruise and uh, we were actually quite disappointed because we know we've supplied quite a few cruise ships uh-huh. and one of the girls in accounts was on one earlier in the year and she went, oh, I've got the jukebox and here's my picture with it and... While I was on our cruise, I saw one of our customers on one of the other cruise liners saying, I've just spotted this sound as a jukebox okay. on, on this cruise. And I said, I can't, I can't believe we're on a cruise liner and we, we've, not, <laughs> we've not found one. And then the very last day we walked into a bar and we're like, there she there is. When <laughs> did you get your photograph? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. And strangely enough, one of our customers, uh, commercial customers, was on the same ship. Okay. So he came down and he had his photograph taken with it as well. So, Amazing. Yeah, it's just, look, it's you can't believe that what we're manufacturing here in Leeds is ending up all around the world and there's people sending us photographs from from a customer point of view. They, they've got the machines in the house in, I don't know, in... Sydney or in California or in Peru or wherever uh-huh. it is and it's great for us to see that and also for the team in the factory when they're coming to work every day and they're building these yeah so when they get messages from customers and they can see what's where they're ending up and how much fun people are having with them and then possibly their family if it's like the mum and dad have bought something then the kids come and buy one mm-hmm. then the grandkids come and buy one we're dealing with three and four generations of families now amazing and it it does it gets to you a bit because we we get involved with people uh, much more than just selling the products these things become part of the family and we yeah. create memories with them we say we manufacture memories and we do and we get so many emails and letters from people and phone calls just saying best thing we've ever bought yeah i can believe it so you've mentioned memories there in generations so let's talk about your sort of family um three generations in the business yeah 
Yeah. Talk to me about how it started, right, okay. how you've become the position you're in now, <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and talk to me about how that whole sort of family dynamics works within the organisation itself. Yeah. So what what we did is my father set the business up in 1978. Uh-huh. Um, he wanted to build a British manufactured jukebox, uh, something that really hadn't been done from scratch before. The people had built jukeboxes in the UK, are the classic style machines, if mm-hmm. you want, um, using components from overseas and building a cabinet here. They wanted to build something from scratch. So okay. as, as you've seen, as you've worked around the factory, literally everything that's in one of these machines is either manufactured here or it's definitely assembled here. Mm-hmm. But we do try and do as much manufacturing as we can. So my father set the business up in 78. In 1986, I left school and I was off to be a painter and decorator okay. and was told, with it being a family business, you're not having summer off. Yeah. You, you finish your exams on Thursday, we need you in on Friday. <laughs> uh, come for six weeks and uh-huh. we'll keep you busy. And uh, 37 years later, I'm still here. And you didn't leave. So, no, that's it. Yeah. So and so uh, what did you start doing? What was that first job? I can make the best cup of tea. Oh, really? Okay. So I was literally the tea lad for 35 people then. Uh-huh. So I was the main, I used to pack the machines as they came off the line. But literally, I spent three quarters of my day buying sandwiches, feeding all the team. Um, But I did the, uh, as I say, the the packing. Then I moved into stores. When I was 18 uh, and I was driving, I moved into the operating division, which Mm -hmm. is obviously going around the pubs and clubs. So I learnt the technical side on that. Once I'd done that for four or five years, um, and that was that was a hard slog back then. That was, I think we had one machine when I started. Okay. Uh, mainly we were working through Yorkshire only, so Humber, Hull, Leeds, York okay. was the main area. So from that first generation, very much a Yorkshire-focused business. Yes, it was, and as I say, we were manufacturing to sell to other operators. Okay. So we were selling to people that supplied pool tables, fruit machines around the industry. Uh-huh. But we also had our own operating company as well. Mm-hmm. So And we used that as a test bed mainly. So the idea was rather than sending it to somebody and they were saying, oh, well, this is wrong or that's wrong, we could put them out on our own estate, operate them, which would generate some cash, but also we were getting first-hand feedback on any modifications or any changes or anything that needed to happen. So... As I say, I, I was on that side, but I mean, it was seven days a week mm-hmm. for four or five years. Uh-huh. I mean, it was a brutal... Full on, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, at the yeah. coal face job, Yeah, right? yeah, but it taught me so much. And what happened then is, is that that was growing mm-hmm. and I was literally going to end up in an early grave. Mm-hmm. It was decided that I'd move more into the sales side because I could then tell customers about the machines, how they were going to work, what was the best machine for them, for their circumstances, because I'd been there, seen it, and done it. Mm -hmm. Um, We then ran training courses for all our customers, so I got involved with that, so I could go out and train our customers on how to operate the machines. And literally, it's just evolved from there. Um, That was my path, and then I was dealing with the brewers and the retailers, and my father's very... What says a recluse, but he's, he prefers to be sat at his bench tinkering. He's got a crazy mindset of mm-hmm. he can sit in a room and look at something, and then he's got five products coming out of his head. I mean, literally, yeah. we have got cupboards full of designs. Um, it's 77 in about two weeks' time. Okay. He's still in here every day. So, a and, true sort of creative innovator. Oh, you won't find anybody else. I mean, in our industry, he's up there with some of the best, or probably the best. Uh-huh. Um, what he's done with the developments, I think, as I said, we, we launched the world's first digital audio jukebox. We had a digital video satellite downloading jukebox where we had to go out and put satellites on the side of the pub so mm-hmm. that we could download the videos. I mean, the, the the some of the designs were so far in advance that literally they took 10 or 12 years to actually become commercially viable okay. um, or for technology to catch up. When yeah. when we brought the digital audio system out, there was no MP3. Yeah. You couldn't download anything down the telephone line. Uh-huh. No, you could, but it would take you 20 minutes to do a, or maybe an hour to do a song. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we've always had this innovation going through the building, um, mainly because... When the first started, it was vinyl, 45s, that had been running for 
60, 70 years. Yeah. Everybody thought vinyl was here forever. And then Philips and Sony came out with a CD player. It was on Tomorrow's World. You could put marmalade on it. You could toast it. Uh-huh. wasn't quite as what they sold, but it arrived. And within sort of like four years of the business being started, and the first product was launched in 1980, within two years, literally, it was looking like they just wasted 100 grand, mm-hmm. which back in 1980 was a lot of money. <laughs> Big amount of money, yeah. Yeah, and... It was, yeah, it, it got everybody in the business looking for opportunities at any time to either change the product or look at different divisions, which is why now we've got the classics, the operations, the kids. Mm-hmm. And we also do a lot of R&D work, as you've seen, for other people as well. So we help other people solve their problems. Yeah. But diversification has helped this business over the last 45 years tremendously. How, so your father's... A real innovator. Yes. Entrepreneurial. Okay. Yeah. Recluse. Yeah. But, but really creative. Yeah. Innovation has been an incredibly important part of the business and the growth of this business, which yeah. we will come back to. Yeah. But how, as the leader of the business now, do you maintain and guarantee that that innovation can continue? How, how, how are you going to tackle that problem? Well, what we've got then is I think once you're in a field, you can start to see things happening. Mm-hmm. So probably... 12 years ago, we never thought vinyl would be back. Mm-hmm. So we, we wrapped the last vinyl jukebox up in 1992 and stuck it in a cellar and thought, that's the end of those. Okay. Obviously, CDs still continuing, digital's flying. But then in 2014, we were talking to people in America and they were saying, CD's on its way out, you know. And we were sat here in England going, nah, it's, it's still this, this bouncing digital yeah. or CD. And they're going, telling you, CD shops are closing, record stores are starting to appear again, we're Mm -hmm. starting to see interest, start looking at records again. And literally, we got the old mechanism out, dusted it down, and the nice thing for my father and his team was, was Phil and Dave, who were sort of like the initial people in the business, the, the, the architects, if you want, the designers, and the people that brought all the products in the early days to market. It was their retirement year. Mm-hmm. So literally the product that they started building, okay. they finished with, nice. but they brought it back up to modern. Yeah, it was amazing. So, But also I'm lucky we've got my brother in the business who he got a degree in design at Sheffield. So Michael's in the business as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he will... He's been out of that side of the business probably for eight months because we've just rolled a new ERP system out, which has just gone live two weeks ago. Okay. So Michael really is taking himself out of that for six months, really. He's just been project managing that. Yeah. So, But Michael will be coming back then into the design side and working with the R&D team to work through what the next developments are. Okay. So we've got quite a good... We've got an understanding of the marketplace, Um we have people that have been in the business for, let's say, we've got some people that are still there for 35 years. Mm-hmm. Um, during COVID, quite a few retired, unfortunately. So, But we have people at 72 still working here who brought a lot to the business that we lost through COVID or the retired okay. during that period. Um, but it's just now we're putting all our efforts into apprenticeships. We've got 70 people in the business. We've got seven apprentices, so 10% of the workforce apprentices uh-huh. so we're trying to bring them through for the next generation trying to keep that rolling yeah so manufacturing in the uk is not easy right it's interesting like yeah, say, it's been a challenge yeah and but look manufacturing anywhere especially over the last few years i can't believe there's anybody sat back in any country going well the last four or five years has been a ball mm-hmm. um obviously we went through brexit um which was devastating to the business um, because of the delay with it mm-hmm. um, if we'd have left in the march which as a business I'll quite openly say we didn't want to leave mm-hmm. we, we could see nothing but major headaches and in all honesty all we've seen is major headaches uh-huh. um, but if we'd have gone out in the march it made life easier but then it got dragged out to the October so all our European distributors we've normally got an 8 to 12 week lead time we're saying we're not ordering from you because we don't know even know if you'll be able to get it into the country. We don't know what the cost will be, yeah. etc. There's that much sort of like confusion. So really, that that twelve months were the worst twelve months I can remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
in a in a way that probably prepared us for COVID because we'd already batten the hatches down. Um, we were fighting through the challenges and we got through that and then sort of like within a couple of months then you're like wow what's yeah. this that's Co- going COVID on? hit yeah amazing yeah. Let, let's go back to the family then yeah so um your, your father's built a business yeah you're in it doing yeah. the doing yeah and then there comes a time where you and him sit down and talk about you want to become the leader and and, and take this on ha- talk to me about how that all happened that doesn't didn't happen okay literally i was sat in the pub with him having a sunday pint yeah and uh literally just said look you're out there with all the customers you're there facing everybody you need to go with a bit more of a title if you want okay and literally i'm making your md yeah i'm like wow right okay yeah not what i expected uh Uh, and look i was very lucky like in everything you're doing in business you're learning i wasn't ready to be a managing director mm-hmm. and probably still are now yeah but i understand the business i know the customers i've got a great team of people around me yeah um and and that's what it's about it's like i can't be great at everything and i'm pretty poor at some things so you put somebody in the spot there that's better than i am. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah and that's what it is you fill the gap and luckily we've got look we're not scared of hard work it's uh-huh. like it's literally one thing i'm not scared of and if somebody says that we can't do something we will do it yeah um so that's I've, I've got the drive and but as i say i wasn't ready for it it was more of a title to start off with yeah and i think it's more of a directors or board of directors now that gets us through tough times uh-huh. and easy times are great i can't remember when the last one was but you just need good people around you, and it's not about me, it's about the team around us. The wider team. Yeah. So the succession planning from generation one to generation two was over a pint, <laughs> which I love. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you started thinking about the succession planning into gen three and how that might all work? Not so much. I mean, we've all sat down probably last year and said, right, what does everybody want from the business? Obviously, my kids are older mm-hmm. so I've got a 23 year old who's in the business uh, so Alex so he's just he's working in the digital department at the minute and then he's working he's starting to move into sales a bit more with me now and the sales team um, my youngest son's currently in Italy for a month he's at university in mm-hmm. London so he's I don't know where he'll end up in the world uh-huh. I can't and I can't see him being in England so we've ruled him out for now okay uh Michael's kids are sort of like eight and six so yeah. he's had children a lot later than I did so mm-hmm. we've got a few a, years a while yet. yeah yeah to, a few years to worry about that but look at, at this minute in time unless something nasty happens I'm and Michael and Kath um we're all we're all still here yeah. and we're not we're not really thinking about that next stage because in all honesty for the last few years we've had a bit more on our minds more of let's just keep this place running yeah because we've got 70 other families yeah <laughs> that need us we need them and we are a big family here and we as well as our family up until COVID, we had seven or eight families, the brothers, sisters, fathers, sons, mothers, aunties, uncles, all working alongside each other. Uh-huh. I think because we've had two people retire, um, we're probably down to five other families in the business now. Um, so we've got a couple of sons. Well, we've got a son and a daughter, Helen, on reception. Her mother were in accounts. She retired. Mark, who's in stars, his dad ran stars. He retired. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in Team Vac Farm, which is a sister company. Uh, Nick runs that. His dad were one of the first, were the first employees at Leisure when my dad set up. He's retired. Yeah. So there's a lot of connections, uh-huh. and I think at this minute in time, it's something we'll start to look again. I think during COVID, well, we got through Brexit, we got through COVID. Last year, we had to have the bounce back and try and get the funds going again because mm-hmm. we still had certain parts of the business shut down so classic jukeboxes came back pretty quickly i think we reopened in the july after shutting down in march thankfully when we came back we got some real big orders in straight away china came in with a container order america came in with a container order thailand did japan uh probably put half a container order in so all of a sudden we went from a standing start to having we had a 10 to 12 month lead time at one point which was great but then you had no components Uh and you couldn't get any components and once again thanks to the team 
that got us through, I think they, had, they were far machine short of a record year. Right, okay. Where we had literally two months throughout the year where they couldn't build yeah. or they couldn't finish a machine because wow. we were waiting So from for, a standing start to almost a record in, yeah, in no time whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, wow, they pulled it out of the bag. Uh-huh. So, so that so was good. When all that challenge and pressure comes on then, yeah. um, clearly close-knit families, like yeah. you've described, how do you make decisions... How, do, how does the decision-making work in that sort of family unit in relation to the business? In all honesty, mm-hmm. I think you're just on the fly and you're just running. And I'm, so, so do people look to you to do that, or does it? Or do you feel like it's a bit of a committee? Or how, how do you? No, how does I that think work? Th- there's some stuff that's a committee, uh-huh. but in all honesty, we're a small business and you don't have time for all that. It's just a case of let's just get on and sort this if okay. there's a problem. So we had a, an issue where... I think Jaguar Land Rover and Mini and all these people shut down for a couple of weeks because they couldn't get a microchip. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd redesigned all our machines back in 2019-20 we were working on it, and then COVID hit. We kept the R&D team running. Yeah. Um, they were working from home, continuing to develop. We just said, look, you guys just need to keep going because we need this when we get back. So we swapped every line that we do onto one set of software, one set of mech- mechanics and uh, electronics within because we got the hit we were supposed to swap over i think in the june mm-hmm. where we were using up all the existing components and in the february our stars manager came and said look seriously we're going through all this this fast we need to get switching over pretty fast now you need to start looking at this so we gave the go ahead and we moved over to the new technology within two weeks one of the r&d lads came in and said right do you know the microchip that we're using now in every machine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't get it anymore. And if you can, there's a nine-month wait, and the price has gone from about four pounds up to ninety pound a, a chip. Wow! So that was obviously a bit of a problem because yeah. <laughs> <we> <laughs> had, just a small we, yeah, bit of a yeah, problem, we right? Build anything. Uh huh. So that was a committee thing because that was right. We need myself, Andy in Nottingham. We've got a branch down there. Who's the head? T- engineer down there, Simon in Nottingham, Michael, my brother, we had Kath, my dad, Elliot, who's running the factory. All the R&D team sat around going, right, what we're going to do? Mm-hmm. Because the answer is not to not build anything because everybody's out of a job. Yep. So what we're we going to do? And literally, by hook or by crook, we found another chipset. That got sent down to the guys in Nottingham. We redesigned the board ourselves. The guys in Nottingham got that built. I think we lost about half a day's production. So things like that that are pretty major, sometimes you need the committee. Yeah. If it's something that's just a trivial thing, literally most people in the business can make that decision. Okay. Um, so on the shop floor, if there's a fault with anything or there's a, a problem, they will stop building a machine. Yeah. So if it's a production issue, they've got the box and they put a red sticker on it or they'll... At that point, they'll go to one of the control managers who'll say, right, would you accept this? Or if there's a mark on the glass or something like mm-hmm. that, and somebody will make a decision. Okay. Um, but the big stuff we put through the board each month. Yeah. We have a board meeting every month. Okay. Um, and how's that board made up? Is it all family? Is it family and some of the key execs? We have some... We Really, we've got one exec that is external... But he's worked with our business for over 30 years for okay. another business right? Um, from one of the accountancy companies. And it's somebody we trust impeccably and he's helped us mm-hmm. over the years. And then we've got Elliot, who, as I say, he's um, running the factory. Mm-hmm. And then we've got myself, Michael, Kathy, who's company secretary, um, and uh, Kath, my wife. But in all honesty... It's a bit like we're doing now. It's not a formal thing. It's like, right, this is what we've got going on. Yeah. And it's just that... Chat it out. Chat it out. Make a decision and come and back and see us next month and yep. let's see what we've done about it. I think because we've been running the business for so long, we shouldn't really get any major surprises. Mm-hmm. We've all got our challenges, yeah. whether it be still with team, even though we've got a great team. Coming back from COVID changed a lot of people's mindsets, especially with this business where we came back at different times because the classic jukeboxes came back very early. Yeah. The pub operating division came back 
15 months after, well, probably 12 months after the classics came back. So the business is very diversified. Yes. Um, with all the various different parts of the business, how do you know where to spend your time? Whew, right, that's... I think that's changed over the last few years. Once again, I've got to go back to COVID because we had gaps all over the place. Mm-hmm. Because we had certain divisions not running at full pace. Yeah. So I'll go back to the operating division. They opened up in, let's say, the August 2020. Mm-hmm. And then they got closed down again in the November. Then we could put machines into pubs, but we couldn't play music louder than so many decibels. So the cash in box and those machines just fell through the floor. I mm-hmm. think it cost the business about over a million, probably one and a half million pounds really? over the 12 months. Wow. So we were operating, but on a real skeleton staff. Mm-hmm. So over the last few years, my job really has been to just jump in with certain teams and fill the gap while we've got enough cash generated to start bringing people back. And that's what we did last year. What I'm trying to do now is start to look ahead again and start to plan again, um, stop firefighting, uh-huh. which is what we've all been doing because even once we got production up and running, then it was issues with finding components. And it's not me just sat upstairs in an office going, right, well, you need to sort that out. It is literally like all, hand, all hands to the pump. Yep. So the stylus, for instance, on the vinyl jukeboxes, the people we've been buying that off for years, they disappeared during COVID. We couldn't build a jukebox. Uh-huh. And we literally got down to the last 20 styluses and we were searching worldwide for somebody who could manufacture a stylus we needed. And then we, we found a stylus in Japan a manufacturer but mm-hmm. none of us could speak Japanese obviously yeah. <laughs> luckily we've got a great Japanese distributor who put us in touch okay. and, and literally between us all we've been working through problems and found a way and found a way but so my role normally would not be contacting suppliers or trying to find stuff out but you've got a stores department and a purchasing department that were on the knees because mm-hmm. everything they were trying to buy they couldn't get it or they were having to buy it from somewhere else and rather than just sending an email and going we want 50 of these or 100 of these it would turn them into a week's job or a month's job so everybody has been out of position yeah so what we're trying to do this year is get everybody back into accounts doing accounts stars doing stars trade counter doing trade counter operating operating kids division doing kids division engineering doing engineering uh-huh. rather than deliveries are so Really, it's, it's still the aftershock of COVID is still going on, um, but we're now starting to put everybody back into their playing position, if you want, and yeah. use the people in the correct places. So, as I say, in the middle of it all, we've just rolled an ERP system out, which we we seem to do things in a strange way sometimes. Like when you when you're getting beaten, let's go for a bit more pain. <laughs> let's make but, it harder. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's yeah, it. Okay. But we're coming out. I think we'll come out of that over the next month or two, and then the light. You'll be able to start to see the light again. And uh, it's not just us. Every business you talk to, they've got challenges. And I think if it was easy, anybody could do it, couldn't yep. they? And it's definitely not been easy for the last few years. But it's still been fun. Yeah. So as long as you can go home and yeah, all right, we all kick ourselves now and again and get down but luckily for me I'm dealing with sales as well so all I need is one sales to drop a nice order and I'm yeah. like wow off yeah, we go back again, in, back that, in that, again. Come on, let's get going again <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah if you look back over your period leading the business um can you remember a specific occasion when you've gone we're onto something here oh multiple give me some examples vinyl jukebox Okay. That was the most recent one, probably yeah. 2017, yeah. when we brought that out, and everybody else in the world had forgotten about vinyl. Okay. And so you say everyone else in the world. So how many? Just just for context, for anyone listening or watching, how many uh, manufacturers and are sort of present in the world? Competitors. Bu- building jukeboxes. There's there's a handful building digital jukeboxes yeah building the classic style jukeboxes there's two okay so there's us and the guys over in america okay so, so you um recognized through the feedback that you were getting from the americans that vinyl was on the way back yeah you decided to take the plunge utilizing yeah. the very first employees to help relaunch yeah, yeah, the yeah. product yeah 
So what was it that you went, yeah, we've got this right? What was it? Orders? How, how, what was the thing? It was orders, and it was just the, literally the, you go to exhibitions and you see people and you see the whites of their eyes type of thing. Uh-huh. Um, when we relaunched that, nobody knew it was coming. Okay. And we took it to a show and literally people were just all over it. They'd not seen a new vinyl playing jukebox for 25 years. Uh-huh. Um, and initially the orders didn't come because that's what happens in yeah. our industry. Initially, you'll it, it, it takes a while for it to filter out. And, and during that period, were you nervous? Or were you like, no, this is right, this is, this is going to happen? I think you're always nervous because you've got... I mean, as a sales person, which I class myself as, mm-hmm. really... Um, I'm all buoyant and I'm up for it and going for it. But then you've got people behind you going, oh, yeah, but what if this doesn't work? And the old, so the you, old what if question comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think that that was just such a milestone moment for us. That, and really, I mean, our, our nearest competitor didn't bring a machine out, anything like this, for three years until three years after we'd launched that. Okay. So that's how far ahead of the game we were. Uh-huh. Um, but once again, with the digital machines back in early 2000, when we launched uh, the digital machines, I said we launched the first one in 1988, which caused massive problems for the business mm-hmm. because the record companies and the licensing companies threatened to close the business down in 1988 because they'd never seen anything like it, yeah. like witchcraft. Um, so we've still got the press cutting upstairs on one of the walls or in one of the cupboards that says, like, we're, we're in big trouble type of okay. thing. Um, but that created a new industry, if you want. Do you look at that as a great decision or a really bad decision at, you know in hindsight what of the the digital jukebox you launched it you were under significant pressure almost immediately yeah. from the incumbents yeah. existing yeah, yeah. marketplace yeah. Yeah. you were trying to disrupt yeah how do you feel about that in hindsight fantastic okay Tell I, mean, me I, don't, why. I don't particularly like digital music uh-huh. but from a industry point of view and from a uh from a business point of view, it was fantastic because probably from 2000, it took till 2005 really to really start to go. But obviously, you had all these pubs and clubs up and down the country that had CD jukeboxes in, and all of a sudden, they all needed the latest digital technology. Yeah. So we were on boom time then. It was just yeah. we couldn't build machines fast enough. And we saw that when vinyl stopped in 1988 and went to CD. Yeah. You were going into a pub with 70 records in or 100 records in, and all of a sudden you could put CD jukebox in that had 3,000 tracks on it. Yeah. We did not stop. Changed I mean, the game. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, our record library that we had, which was as big as this room, we, we had to have the library with all the CDs in, uh, our vinyl in at that stage, mm-hmm. literally overnight changed from vinyl to CD. Yeah. The, Factory was booming because all the other operators needed CD jukeboxes. So, yeah, look, we've seen the gold rush and then we've seen it come down and then you've seen the gold rush and you've seen it come down. You go through waves, you yeah. go through cycles. And But, but your story strikes me as one of um, uh, innovation, yes. being really close to the, the market and what customers are saying, yeah. being ahead of the curve yeah. and then riding the waves. Yeah. And that has been, you know, your whole sort of MO for the last 40, 50 years. Yeah. So a load of very, very good decisions, actually, in hindsight. Yeah, in hindsight, but a bit scary at the time. time. But but then innovation's (laughs) always going to be a bit scary. Let's flip that round. Can you tell me about a really bad decision that you've made? Not so much a bad decision. I remember bad times of when CD first came out and we were really taking on, at that time there were five major jukebox manufacturers going um, and we were the new kids on the block. I mean, most of the people we were dealing with, our competitors have been going from the 1930s, 40s, 50s. We started in 78, so Mm -hmm. we were still sort of like looked down upon because we'd only been going 20 years uh, or even 10 years at that point. But when CD came out, um, Philips launched a laser head. Okay. And it was a bit like 
it, it was the Betamax and VHS thing, which okay. was going to work. Philips came out with this laser, which was amazing. It was like a, a tank. You could do anything with it. At that time, a lot of the machines were in the cellars in pubs, so the conditions for them wasn't very good. So the, the main CDs and everything were sat downstairs in the cold cellar and then we ran a cable upstairs and put a wall box selector unit on the wall okay so the bit that everybody saw in the pub was there there was nothing in it it mm-hmm. was just the title strips and the cash all the mechanics were downstairs so chucking a laser head into a room that's minus five most of the time where right. frosting up and it wasn't the best environment phillips came up with a laser head, absolutely amazing you could do anything with it and it worked forever yep. i mean we're still i've got some in the factory now from 1988 that's still running okay. that's how good they were yeah um but then technology changed and people wanted cd rom drives in laptops mm-hmm. computers were getting smaller so this big bulky piece that they had wouldn't fit in that people started wanting to put them into cars okay. you couldn't fit this thing in a car i yep. mean you'd have needed a volvo estate just to put the the player in the boot okay. type of thing <laughs> to taking it all up so they came up with a, a new version and it was awful Right. absolutely decimated it. Um, and had you tied yourself to that product yeah, at that yeah. time? So okay. what had happened, when, when CD came out, we initially went to see... It was a new technology. Uh-huh. So there was a major Japanese manufacturer just in Normanton, just down the road. Yep. Um, one of my friends was head of production there. And I went to see him. I said, look, we've got... We need some lasers. What, where are we going to get some from? I said, I'll come down and have a word with these guys. So we went down and they said, how many do you need? So we said, well... Probably could probably put you an order in for a thousand. Yeah. So when the little Japanese guy fell off his chair laughing mm-hmm. and said it's not even worth me turning a machine on for twenty minutes to do that. Okay. We thought we've got problems here okay. because what we're we going to do. So my father then it's it's quite a close knit community our industry. Mm-hmm. So we knew the owners or the managers of every major jukebox manufacturer in the world so my father rang them all up and said look we've all got problems here we've hit this we, we ran through the old products before anybody else used everything up because we were on a boom yep the uk had really gone hard uh, swapping over from vinyl to cd so we were running out our existing stock so we hit this new product before anybody else in the world and we got all the problems so my father had to ring everybody up and say look going to pre-warn you now that when you use your stock up this product here there's problems with it yeah so we all need to get together and fund and do something okay um so we all got together and put big orders in right so again as an industry and the whole industry used the same product yeah so but that's when we started using the Philips product and it worked really well but then they brought this machine out or this unit out as I say and it causes major issues and we were literally it cost the business oh, £100,000 probably oh really just trying to keep customers on side and just giving free laser heads away or sorting stuff out that were back in 1990s um, but because of what we did and because we kept everybody going although it was a nightmare for everybody and they knew we were working to try and find a solution they stuck with us and I think sometimes in bad times you can come out better if you want, because if you look after people and you're fair with people and you're truthful with them and say, look, hands up, there is an issue, we'll do everything we can to support you. We're working on this. We will we'll sort it out. People trust us now because they know that we're not just in and out of the game. We're, we're long-term. And I think the product and, and the family, if you want, have got a good name within the industry. Yeah. And that, that character of the, of the family and the business is really important. People know they can rely on you, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think... The, the family business side of it does strike a lot with a lot of people. So we have people walking off the street who've never heard of us, mm-hmm. literally just to buy a machine for their homes. Um, I think back in the 80s and 90s when we were selling commercially, most of these machines were going into pubs and clubs. Mm-hmm. But then we started getting phone calls from Harrods and the odd footballer would ring up and say can we buy a machine uh-huh. I once got a great phone call from Kevin Keegan who said I'm just landing at Leeds and Bradford airport in about two hours we've just I think it was Yaro 96 or something uh-huh. we're bringing the team down we want to come down and see you and literally we had all these guys wandering around so we were dealing with people that collected jukeboxes for the homes yep. um, so people like classic car type people that like tinkering with stuff and 
they get these the wanted jukeboxes. We we were dealing with people who had like nine, ten jukeboxes in their houses. Amazing. And then at the other end of the scale we were dealing with multimillionaires, etc. But the main part of the business was still commercial. What we're finding now is that the jukeboxes are becoming more of a lifestyle product. So it's a bit like having an Arga cooker. You don't need one, but it's cool to have one and it looks nice and people gather around it. That's what a jukebox does. You don't turn your TV on when you get one of these. People sit in front of it. So our customers have changed over three decades, four decades if you want. So people literally need to understand who we are. They're yeah. not just buying the product. Yeah. They're buying into our business. The story, the, the sto- family. The story, the family, yeah. uh, ethics, etc. And as I say, we deal with people for generations. I mean, we know when you walk into the factory now, if you speak to any of the team out there that are building these, they know that that machine will last longer than them. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows that the jukebox has got to outlive the person that's built it. Wow. So, and we're <laughs> refurbishing machines now that are 30, 40 years old. So it is something that's passed down through generations. Um, it's people come to us and say, my mother and father had this, or the grandfather and grandma had it. Um, we remember dancing to Elvis round it when we were three uh-huh. and four. We want it refurbishing because that's what we remember. Yeah. So... It, it is massive more than, emotional value to, yeah, to the owners, and, and that's why I don't sort of like champion digital music because uh-huh. that's on your phone and you throw it on the table and you listen to something with this, you touch it, you feel it, you get the theatre, you get those memories because you gathered round it, talking, laughing, dancing, whatever. Yeah. So we've got we've talked about the peaks and troughs of innovation and and where you've taken the business. Is that the next period of growth for the business? Actually, this direct-to-consumer, it's becoming a lifestyle product, and that's going to really open up the market to drive the growth for the next period? Or do you see something new and different happening in the industry? There's a lot happening. I mean, everybody thought when, once again, digital music came out, that was the end of the jukebox, Mm -hmm. playing vinyl and CD, whereas what we've seen is people want it more now because they remember the good old days yeah. if you want um, look there's, there's all sorts going on we're working on quite a few things at the moment and I think what we're trying to do is which is quite different to other people is um, we're looking backwards Okay. So, so when Brexit came along we had to make a decision we thought right we're in trouble mm-hmm. because Europe's one of our largest markets if you grouped it all together it was our largest okay. market so we sat down as a sales team and said right where are we going what we're going to do because mm-hmm. this is curtains if we're not careful so we said right we'll look at China not something we really wanted to do previously okay. because everybody knows the stories are copying and etc uh, so far we've found out that their laws seem to be a lot more stringent than ours on patents oh, and really? things like okay. that so but you know so good know. experience trading so far it's been yeah. very good yeah um, we said we'd go to India and we said we'd go to Australia Australia's always used jukeboxes. It's been a big jukebox market. We've okay. sold over the decades there. China, we thought would be a problem because we didn't speak the language, we didn't understand the culture, so we had to do a mm-hmm. bit of research on that. India, in all honesty, we thought we'll steam into India. That'd be great because they understand the British culture. We yep. understand theirs, Bangra, all bright lights, dancing, music. It's a massive part of the culture. Uh-huh. So we went into India, and wow, could we sell anything in India? No, not a chance. And why? And why? Was well, that? we were pulling our hair out. We were. We got lots of people who said the tech containers, but they'd pay for it when we sold it, or right. when they sold it, etc. But in the end, I went to Leeds University and said, "Look, I need some help here because we cannot break this market. We don't know what the hell's going on." Okay. And they did a great job for us. And literally, what we found is that India wants to put a man on the moon. They're not bothered about what happened 40, 50 years ago. These machines are based on 1940s and 1950s. They're not bothered about what's gone. They're more interested about what's happening. Okay. So if you put digital in it, happy days, you'll sell them all day long, but vinyl, CD. So that was a learning curve. So if I'm playing back what you've just said, you're looking now at markets that appreciate retro. Yep. And hop back to those times. So the American market, the American, the Chinese market, market love British. The, the Chinese market's been unbelievably successful, and 
they're after the love British brands. Uh-huh. They want quality. Um, we had a strange conversation only six months ago. One of our distributors who said, Chris, we need to do something with the remote control because some of our customers are struggling to use it. Okay. So I said, right, well, if you send me all your symbols over and we'll put the markings on the, the remote control, we'll do it in Chinese. Okay. I went, not a chance. Uh-huh. If you do that, they'll think it's made in China, but they don't want that. They right. want British, so we need to start using like a play symbol or a fast-forward symbol okay. rather than it saying play, play. fast-forward, yeah. etc. So, yeah, so it's been... Look, you're always learning something. Um, when you go into all these different markets, it's it's interesting. And the feedback you're getting from them also helps develop the product and the next generation, if you want, of products that we're trying to offer. Uh-huh. Um, we've just launched the LP twenty player mechanism last year, and it's in the console that's in the corner behind us now, which doesn't look like a jukebox mm-hmm. because we speak to a lot of people who come in who want a jukebox look in the house, but we're also speaking to as many people that want something that will be an auto changer. It'll play twenty LPs, it'll play ten LPs, or it'll play seventy forty fives. But they want it as an auto changer, yeah. and it's still something unique. They're not going around any shop in the UK and saying, "Oh well, so and so's got one of those." Yeah. They put this in the room, and it's a statement piece. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily have to be in your face. Um, likewise, we're probably building. I would say thirty-five, forty percent of everything we manufacture now is custom. Okay. So. And that can be anything from somebody putting the name on the front to a complete cabinet design, a colour to match something, or to stand out in a room, different plastics, different uh, finishes on the castings, on the chrome. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's so many different areas we can go into. Sometimes it's trying to condense it and, and try and work out the areas we need to concentrate on. Yeah, and focus. And focus on that, because... The business is that diverse, and we've probably still got a few less people than we need at the minute. Um, so you are filling in more places than you want to do. Um, but the nice thing is, it's it's an interesting. The main product is an interesting product, yeah. and you can't help but have fun with it. Yeah, and the beautiful product. Yeah, even if you're having a bad day, you can come and sit in this room and yeah. sort of like pull a beer out of the up. fridge at the end of the day and stick a few tunes on, and uh, everything's good again. Yeah. You're seeing consumer um, trends changing and in the increasing importance of sustainability, yes. environmental credentials. Um, how much is that impacting your marketplace in the business? And how much do you see some of those elements in the future, sort of new product development? Yeah, well, we're looking at all sorts now. So, for instance, a jukebox is all about Chrome. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is... That's what it is. Yep. And especially the 1950s machines, they were, they were designed and a lot of the... Uh, castings themselves were designed on the back ends of the 1950s cars with the fins on and everything's about chrome but that's one of the nastiest things that you can use yeah. at the moment yeah. so where now if you look at the Marshall machine we've moved away from chrome we're, we're using a different finish we're using painted finishes like on the Duke Britannia okay. um, so what we're trying to do is introduce now different finishes we, we can't change it overnight because we'll just hand our market to the competitors if we just say right we're not doing it anymore Mm -hmm. but what we're trying to do is offer different options to bring it more into the norm yeah so that over the next four or five years we may be the intention is that we'll be doing less chrome yeah um we've gone led lighting on all the machines now so we've got rid of all the fluorescent tubes we've got rid of all that what about the sustainable wood, wood? sustain everything comes from sustainable sources um everything that any scrap that we get electronics it's all it all goes through the proper systems yeah. uh, the factory at the minute we're just looking at water catchers for the roof just daft things like flushing okay. the toilets we've got solar panel project going on yeah. we've got boilers coming in that can use some of the waste wood cutoffs so okay. so we're all we're looking at all sorts yeah. and even down to transports on the on the digital machines on the um, operating side yeah Rather than collecting once every fortnight, we're going because we've still got to drive around. We go once a month now. Okay. Um, we're looking at contactless card readers, so once again, we can try and take less cash and do less collections. Yeah. So, with a business like this, there's that much going on all the time. Mm-hmm. But 
we've got the fleet of cars down from something like 30 to about 15 yeah uh, and it's just just doing these things all all your paper waste everything's recycled we've got the recycling area in the factory so is yeah it, we can still do more but it is a is a net zero jukebox uh is, it, is that a possibility i don't know at the minute mm-hmm. in all honesty i mean what i'm more interested in in all honesty there's a lot of big sort of like your net zero is one of these things all the big corporate companies are smashing on about mm-hmm. it I've been to a few seminars with international companies and large PLCs that are telling us what they're doing, and a lot of it's a tick box exercise. Mm-hmm. What I'm more interested in is what we can do here in the factory to reduce waste, stop it in the first place. Yep. Daft thing now, bubble pack using the machines to wrap in. Mm-hmm. What? How we're going to get that out of the system yep. and remove that from it when we're transporting these all over the world? Yeah. So it's look. There's there's a lot to do. Um, we are with the new systems that we're building now. We cut so much waste out just on the product itself. But there's certain things like the chrome plating that will take years for us to get out of. Um, but everybody in here is knowing that what we've got to do, yeah. and they're all working towards that. And I can see our waste going to landfill now. It's dropped literally down to a skip a month okay. which two or three years ago might have been two or three skips okay. and we've got stuff now looking at how we get through that Yeah. So well one better for the environment too but two better for the business of course right? it is and and look at, at the end of the sense. day whatever anybody says if you go green it's better for the business and yeah. why wouldn't you Yeah. Um, the annoying thing for us is we looked at solar panels three years ago and when we realised that our rates had rise when we put solar panels on the roof, mm-hmm. we put it on hold. Okay. And luckily now the government's changed that and if we stick all the solar panels on the roof, we don't get charged more, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah. So that's the project that's back on now where okay. we're looking at solar and battery storage and, yeah. and et cetera. We're not a heavy user of electricity, to be honest. Um, this probably this room probably uses more than half the factory. Okay. We've got a few CNC machines, but everybody else is on rechargeable drills and a few airlines. And right. It's not intense manufacturing, if you want. Yeah. Um, a lot of it's still done by hand because yeah. when you're manufacturing the cabinets, you've got the skill set there where there's somebody actually with a, a hammer and a chisel and a uh, yeah yeah and the molding something yeah, with, and with real skills yeah that's it yeah. yeah and that's what we've got to focus on as well as I say with the apprentices apprentices is dragging those skills through to the next generation because over the last twenty or thirty years that's we've lost it in Britain yeah. everybody had to go and be an accountant and or a solicitor or a support yeah it, and nothing and against the university that route yeah and, it had to and, be the university yeah. route and I say I've got I've got two kids Alex who's working in the business if he'd have gone to university I'd have killed him because mm-hmm. he is not a university person I'm not yeah my youngest son if he hadn't have gone to university same thing I'd have killed him because he'd have wasted his time here uh-huh. he needed to go out and he's studious and he, he can do that's what he needs to do yeah and that's what we're trying to get through to people we do a lot of work with the local schools colleges Leeds city council the chamber um we're involved with all sorts of committees Leeds manufacturing festival uh to try and get round we're involved with the utc Leeds college just to go in and talk to children or students to talk to teachers Mm -hmm. and to talk to parents to say look it's not all about going to university. You don't need a degree in amateur dramatics or whatever if you want to be a welder. Yeah. Likewise, if you want to be an accountant or you want to be a solicitor, or obviously you do, but don't just think that if you don't go to university, you're a failure because you're not. Yeah. It's not a one-size-fits-all, is it? No, it's not, and I think we're seeing that. I mean, we were part of the Leeds Manufacturing um festival up at the arena in Leeds back in March uh, where they had the open day for apprenticeships they had 8,000 students through there in a day Amazing! it was manic but you're starting to see that grow every year I think last year they got 5,000 this year's 8,000 I mean honestly the way it's going they'll be in Ellen Road in a few years yeah. it's, it's crazy 
But that's really positive for the UK manufacturing Of course it is, and that's what we need, because there's too many people now that are retired, we're losing the skill sets. When I joined the company, we were based in Hunslet, and within a mile of our factory, there were foundries, there were chrome platers, there were metal bashing shops, Mm -hmm. there were plastic vac farming companies, there were... You could get anything. We're having to travel. We we have sort of like a policy, if we can't build it ourselves, we then go to the wider area, so we go around Leeds then into Yorkshire, sometimes after have to go into Lancashire. But oh dear, let's, not, let's not talk about that. <laughs> let's not upset too many people. But, yeah, but, no, I mean, we, we go worldwide now to find components, but obviously what we are seeing, and thankfully for us it's always been our philosophy that you keep it local, and there's certain components obviously you can't get from Leeds or the UK. You've got to go, if you want microchips, in all honesty, yep. You're not getting them in the UK in the quantities everybody needs, but hopefully that'll change over the next few years. We are seeing more and more people coming to us now saying we want made in Britain. Yeah. Um, and also, to be fair, from Europe, they they're still promoting British products, even after all the Brexit side of things. We've not seen a massive decline. We've just seen a lot of heartache <laughs> trying to get yep. the paperwork sorted, and it's made things a lot more difficult. Um, but in all honesty, we we seem to be getting over a lot of the the issues now, and we're not hated, yeah. Um, which was one of our concerns that we thought the, brand, we actually, the British brand, yeah, would can be we impacted. actually go into France yeah. and deal with these customers after we've sort of like told them all to get lost? But it's uh, no, we're we're all good still. There's there's a lot of good people out there, and forget politics and everything else. People are just trying to run businesses all over the world and look after the families and look after the teams, and we're just part of their business. Yeah. And likewise, when people come in and spend a lot of money, these machines are ranging from nine grand up to fifteen thousand pound for a standard machine. Yeah. And then you can go crazy. You can do whatever you want after that. So people are coming in, we get a lot of people who are retiring, mm-hmm. who are coming and going, right, get me check next week, or I get me check in three months, start building, yeah. I'm, I'm good to go, I've been wanting one for years. So people are putting a lot of trust in us um, and our product. Um, it's great to be involved with it, and so it's it makes life easier, I yeah. think, yeah. Uh, because you know what you're doing, people are enjoying. Great. Right, three signature questions we ask everybody. Um, What do you love about being a business owner? The freedom, which seems really weird when I've probably just been working six day weeks for the last 12 (laughs) months. Uh, um, But no, just just to be able to make our own decisions um, and not have to go to somebody above us to say, can I do all this, can we do all this? And look, you live by it or die by the sword, don't you? And it's... uh, I think there's a bit of pressure there, but that's, yeah, the freedom of... And also, for me, to be able to walk around businesses all over the world and say, that's what we've made, it's just fantastic. Great. What do you most dislike about being a business owner? Probably the pressure that it puts on the family. Okay. Um, Quite a lot of people, and especially over the last couple of years, it's been a tough one. So you can see, sort of like Kath, my brother, um, my dad, struggle a bit sometimes, and like everybody has, everybody has a downtime or a part time out of it. And I think the pressure that everybody was under um, when you know it's on your shoulders, yeah, I think that's the the hard bit. Um, and then I think for myself personal to keep myself motivated to try and keep that going, yeah. Uh, so that's the downside, um, but. There's not a lot of those. It's it's more fun than more ups and downs. Yeah. And as if the if there was one thing you could change in the world of business, what would it be? <sighs> not allowed to swear on air. Oh, you can. <laughs> we'll just bleep it out. It'll be fine. Just for people to be fair, I think. Um, I think when you we're at a stage now where we like to deal with nice people. And if we're ever at a stage now where we're dealing with companies mm-hmm. that you don't feel have got the same um, 
ethics if you want or outlook on life we're not in it for the money and i think if everybody could just chill out a bit and just do what they need to do make, charge us money we charge other people money everybody it makes the world go around but just get rid of some of the nastiness that's out there and probably some of the i don't know it's just uh you do tend to find people more stressed since covid especially okay um we're lucky because now i think anybody we don't want to deal with we don't nice. and uh we just try and have fun as i say it's uh we all get the stress but if we can make it more fun than stress that's that's what it's about isn't that's it? a win yeah definitely yeah great thank you all right thanks well i hope you really enjoyed that i got loads out of that conversation with chris uh the two big themes and my takeaways from this conversation today um with the first really the strength that you get from having a diverse business family businesses especially multi-generational ones have to ride lots and lots of challenges and this is definitely a story of how diversity has helped the business grow and thrive over the years that has it has been operating the second big theme for me was one of uh, creativity in the face of challenges this is a business full of uh, solution finding artists the the products are amazing the delivery the stories that you heard today i'll take away from today just how much chris and the team here are artists Um, compounded by real true Yorkshire grit and their business today is thriving as a result of that. Look forward to speaking soon. Cheers guys.